Hello, everyone, and welcome to Friend Diagram. This is the podcast where two friends catch up and find common ground between their favorite media. I'm Remy. I'm Kat. And today we'll be comparing notes on Fringe and Nope. Warning, spoilers ahead. Yay! Yay! It's been so long since we've recorded a real episode. I know, you've been away on vacation. Yes, yes. I had a very rejuvenating vacation, but did miss two of our Sunday recording dates because of it. So we're getting back into it. This week's been a big week because, Mm -hmm. like, time-wise, you guys have been having episodes out for a while now. But for us, we just started releasing our episodes, which has been really exciting. Yeah, this is the first time where we're recording and our existing episodes or some of them are out there in the world Mm -hmm. and available for consumption. So we're not just literally making it for ourselves anymore. (laughs) Yeah, we're making it for like five people who chose to listen to our episodes. Which is totally fine. (laughs) Which is great. My mom texted me today and said that she listened to the first one and a half episodes of our podcast. Uh-huh. And uh she said that we're doing a very good job and that she enjoyed it very much. Oh. And then she said, tell Remy good job. Oh. I was like, oh. <laughs> Thank you, Kat's mom. <laughs> so yeah, I thought that was a cute interaction. How was your week? How was your weeks? I feel like we haven't talked in so long. Um, God, we're in the middle of a heat wave right now. I don't know about you. Holy shit. Climate change is just brutal at the moment. Yeah. Um, This is the longest heat wave I've experienced in my lifetime, Mm. where we're in high 90s every day. I think this is like six or seven days in a row now, and there's going to be at least five more to come. It is unrelenting. I cannot change my clothes enough. I have completely different outfits that I wear just to walk to work than change when I get to work. I do that. Yeah. The other day, oh, this was so embarrassing. You'll love this. (laughs) (laughs) The other day, I got to work and I was in my walking outfit Uh because I walk about 25 minutes to get Mm -hmm. to work across a very um, a sun exposed area. Mm-hmm. And so it is so hot and I'm sweating and it's the worst. But I walked in, um, to work and this, um, woman that works in a, an area nearby to mine that we chat sometimes. Mm-hmm. I don't know her terribly well, but we're friendly. She looked at me in my walking clothes and she was like, Oh, did you run here? Oh. <laughs> No. <laughs> rude. <laughs> so brutal. Oh, no. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> did you tell Will that story? I did. <laughs> he agreed. It was oh, no. so brutal. <laughs> I'm sure she didn't think anything of it. I'm sure no, she was just no. impressed that you had the motivation to run. Which I do. I do. I do do that. I also like to think that she just looked at my attire, which was, like, semi-athleisure mm-hmm. wear, and was like, that looks like something someone would run in, yeah. regardless of how sweaty they are. I'm sure that that was, I'm sure that that was her thought process, was like, oh, she looks like she had a hard workout, and she's yeah. in athletic clothes, so this makes sense. 
Oh, man. Yeah, it's been really hot here in the Midwest as well, but um, I feel like it's normal. I don't know. I'm just used to it because mm-hmm. July in the Midwest can get really hot for a really long time. So it's been like in the low to mid 90s every day for like the past month or so. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really a wave. It's just like a heat pool that we are constantly living in out mm-hmm. here. It's like a heat lazy river. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I would kill for a lazy river right now. God, me too. Um. Anyways. Yeah, are those all of our important updates? I think so. I told, as soon as you told me the topic you were covering this week, I went and told Will because it is um, one of his favorite things of all time yes. in all forms of media. And um, he almost... He almost was interested in (laughs) guest starring. Well, come here. Oh my gosh. Maybe he can do a reaction to it. Maybe. I don't know if the pod can withstand his, like, chaotic energy. (laughs) Yeah, it'll make it so much better. It's a lot to handle. I love it. Yeah, so the piece of media that I chose this week that we're talking about is uh, the television series Fringe, um, which aired from 2008 to 2013. And it's a Fox show. And why I'm noting this is because this show is very, 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 very similar to another show that I love called The X-Files. And The X-Files is also a Fox show. Fringe was created by... One of the most important names on it is J.J. Abrams, who uh. was, like, very involved in all of the Star Treks. And I think that that's one of the things that made it so successful was J.J. Abrams' involvement in the writing and producing of the show. Yeah, because he that's still coming off of the Lost um, yes, series success. Lost. That was still going on at the time, but it had yeah. already had several years of very high engagement. I forgot that he did engagement. Lost as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lost was good too. Not as good as Fringe, though. <laughs> um, so Fringe is, it's like general genre is science fiction. And I'm going to try very hard not to give away major spoilers for the show. Um, because I think that the overarching arc of the show is so well done unlike the X-Files. The X-Files, each individual episode is great on its own, but once you get into like the government conspiracy part of everything, it kind of falls apart and you get lost in it. Hmm. But Fringe does a really good job at everything tying together really nicely across seasons and as like an overarching plot that makes sense. And I don't want to ruin it for anybody because I think that the show is still worth watching if you've never seen it before. It is currently streaming on Amazon Prime, but technically you'll still get ads with it because it is through a different service called Freevee. So it's F-R-E-E-V-E-E. And the ads aren't that aversive. It's just kind of like cable commercials, but that's where I've been watching that recently. And how many seasons did you say it was? It is five seasons. Um, and I have not rewatched all five yet. I'm currently mid season three. 
So I'll only be kind of talking about it up to there, but you can't really get into seasons two and three without giving too much away. So I'm not going to get too, too in depth, but I want to touch on a lot of different things. Sounds good. So Fringe is centered around a small ragtag government (laughs) group. Um, They're technically FBI. So the main character, yes, the main character, Olivia Dunham, is an FBI agent that becomes a liaison for a different case. Anyways, she's a government liaison for a different government organization. They become interested in her and they create a new department around her and two consultants that are civilian consultants. Um, one being Walter Bishop, who is an older individual. I think he's in his seventies in the show. He is a scientist that has been in a mental institution for the last 13 years, I believe. And his experiments and work have been continued in a very nefarious way. Mm -hmm. And his work from like the seventies has been continued and is currently being used for like bioterrorist means. And so they call him in on the first initial case to help solve it. And in doing that, they need his son to get him released from the mental institution that he is at. Um, So the second civilian consultant is Peter Bishop, his son. He is very smart, kind of like a con man type person. So he is kind of like a criminal turned good guy for the FBI. He like faked MIT credentials to work as a professor for a while and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So he's a, a very smart guy and basically kind of manages his father, who is this mad scientist character. And they form this group called the Fringe Division. And the Fringe Division is responsible for investigating unexplained phenomena that, like, can't be investigated by normal FBI. And they're also attempting to prevent worldwide destruction by an alternate dimension. So that is, like, the biggest spoiler I'm going to give you. Mm -hmm. So basically, we're getting into some really cool sci-fi stuff, talking about alternate dimensions and... um, just like some really cool biology concepts that are like really fun thought experiments. Um, and I will note that I am a scientist, so I find this show satisfying as a scientist. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there are two main things that I really like about this show. And the first thing I'll talk about is just the science and technology aspect, which I was touching on just now a little bit. This show plays with a lot of scientific concepts in a way that I find really interesting. It kind of reminds me of, um, oh gosh, now I'm having a hard time remembering the experiments that were done in the seventies where they like gave people LSD. Mm-hmm. MK Ultra? MK Ultra experiments. It reminds me kind of of the, the MK Ultra experiments. So there's a lot of like government experimentation happening and Also, there is a major industry. There's a business called Massive Dynamic in the show that is kind of the industry side of things. Mm -hmm. And they are like using this technology for profit. And so they're all mixed up in it. So I really liked Mm -hmm. being able to see all of the different sides of how science is being used. So you can see Mm -hmm. it 
in academia. Um, there's like a lab in Harvard and then you can see it in the government and like experiments that the government is doing and then Mm -hmm. experiments that are being done on the industry side of things. And I think that it shows those three facets and how they all interact really interestingly. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really like that. And Walter's lab is at Harvard, right? Yes. I was trying to remember. I think I've only seen the first season Mm -hmm. of this and I watched it in real time on cable in 2008. Oh, so wow. it's been a minute since I really sat down and watched it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I was like trying to remember. I was like, I know Walter had a lab. I was thinking it was MIT, but it's in the basement at Harvard. Oh, that's awesome. I love yeah. that. Oh, it's so good. And there's a cow in the lab. I was just going to say, <laughs> I remember a cow being there. <laughs> I can't remember why he needed the cow. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I I really love I really love this show. I love all of the characters and all of their interactions with one another. And I just think it's a really really wholesome show, but it touches on a lot of scientific ethics concepts in the show as well. So like where do you draw the line in your science? How far is too far? And how far should we seek out knowledge if it could be potentially dangerous? Are you responsible for stopping that search? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some experiments on kids that were done. And it's really interesting because basically Walter's experiments have kind of led to this chain reaction that is resulting in consequences for our world and the alternate dimension that is like directly tied to our world. So Mm -hmm. there's an alternate dimension that would have a different version of Walter, Peter, Olivia, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And Walter in his pursuit of science and of his pursuit of his research, he opens a doorway into this alternate reality and it starts to degrade both realities and importantly the other reality thinks they're at war with our reality but we don't conceptualize it like that we're just until we interact with that other side we don't realize that we think we're in a war with each other and i think that it it deals with one how far do you go And then it deals with the accountability of what happens when you have gone too far already. So one thing that I also really like about the the science and technology aspect of the show is that I love a monster of the week setup. Mm -hmm. And while this isn't truly a monster of the week scenario, there's basically like a bioterrorist event of the week or like a crime of the week that Mm -hmm. they're trying to solve. And um, it all ties in really well with the main plot, though. Most of the cases are related to the main plot. And I think that that's done particularly well in this show as well. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, from what I can remember, Mm -hmm. I remember it as being sort of a mystery of the week or a case of the week where some event has taken place. Mm -hmm. And I think you witnessed some of that in the opening of the episode. And then the team of scientist protagonists have to figure out how this event was accomplished via what type of technology and 
who did it and stuff like that. Yeah. I just love that formula for a show. I I find it very refreshing because when a show is all plot, I kind of get too emotionally invested in it. And I really like the like refreshing nature of getting a new case every single time mm-hmm. and not feeling like I'm jumping into the same problems that were happening in the last episode. I think that it's really nice that interpersonal drama is like sprinkled in, but is not the main focus of most episodes, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And you get a sense of resolution every mm-hmm. time. Yes, absolutely. And more so than in a show like X-Files. I have to like I'm just comparing it like one-to-one with X-Files because I Mm -hmm. love both of these shows so much, but there's so much that Fringe did right that X-Files just kind of like felt just a little bit flat on. And I, it's so cool to like see such an improvement in the same network and see something pulled off almost as well or just as well, if not better than like a classic. So yeah, I, I really like the, the science in the show. I think that the biggest thing that I like about this show is that it centers on this theme of, I really love Walter and I love his character and I love how multifaceted his character is and how you can get into um, themes like what is fatherhood and how are you a good father and what makes a good father um, and also what makes you a good person? What, how can you forgive yourself and have other people forgive you? Like, I think that forgiveness is such a prominent aspect of especially seasons one and two, because you're seeing so much of Peter and Walter fixing their relationship with each other and growing closer and really becoming a father-son pairing where in like the first few episodes, Peter just has this absolute hatred for his father and blames his father for his mother dying and just like never felt as close to his father. And now he has kind of become this caretaker to this man who is so different from the man he grew up knowing. In his time at the uh, mental institution, Walter only got worse and he is so off topic all the time. He's just saying crazy things all the time, um, which add to like the comedic relief of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just love the childish joy and nature of Walter as right. like a grown old man and how he is looking back on his life and knowing that he did some pretty sketchy experiments and that his work is being used in a way that it was never intended to be used and the guilt that he feels and how everyone in the show sees that, but knows that it's not the same Walter that was doing Uh. those experiments. You're able to separate the current Walter from the Walter he used to be and I think that that makes the forgiveness come a little bit easier to the people in the show. Right. Especially Peter, who sees that his dad can't really function without him. And they just have some really, really lovely interactions. Yeah. um, He was my favorite as well 
from what I can recall. And like the most salient features I remember about why I liked him so much was just his his sweetness and tenderness, I feel like. And his enthusiasm for what he was doing. Yeah. And I agree, he does have kind of uh like a childlike quality to a lot of his interactions just because they seem so unguarded. Like yeah. he unlearned how to be resentful and guarded mm-hmm. and put up barriers between him and other people. It's like those yes. filters have fallen away for him. Yes. And that's uh, often comes across as a really um, endearing quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And especially in season one, you just get so much good father-son interaction in that season. And you just get to see people healing from their pasts. And I really enjoy that aspect. I think it was done really well. The emotional beats throughout the entire show are very, very well done. I'll cry about characters I've just been introduced to in that episode. <laughs> like the basically the the one episode characters in each show, I'm like sobbing um. for them. Um <laughs> and I I love that. Um I usually don't like shows that make me feel like a lot of emotions, but right. I like the way that this show does it because it's done in a way that you get resolution, like you said. And also, um, there's just so much relief throughout the show that you get laughter, you get a little bit of sad emotion, you get a little bit of like awkward emotion. And it's like, it's really nice. It's very, it's a very refreshing show to watch. Um, and very entertaining. But yeah, all of the, like the chemistry between the characters is really lovely as well. I think that they did a really good job on that. Like, I've talked a lot about Peter and Walter and their interactions because Peter is obviously trying to manage his father and keep him professional in settings with other FBI agents where mm-hmm. he'll just be like sniffing dead corpses or something. And mm-hmm. he's like, like, stop, please stop, Walter. <laughs> but, uh, I really like Broyles. He is the person that recruited Olivia for this job. So Broyles is like her boss mm-hmm. um, and kind of manages them as a whole. And he is a very serious man, uh, very like calm and serious, but sometimes you'll see him like interact with Walter and he'll not think a joke is funny or, um, he'll be like, is he being serious right now? And like, I just, I love their interactions because it's like Walter who is so excitable and excited about everything. And then Broyles who is so calm. I love that contrast. Um, I also think some of the most wholesome interactions are between Walter and Astrid. I was really hoping you'd bring her up. I love Astrid. Astrid is potentially, I think she's one of my favorite supporting characters in the show. I don't know if I'd call her my favorite, but I love her and one Walter cannot say her name correctly to save his life. He calls her Astro Astric. She is basically Walter's de facto caretaker when Peter is not around. Um, so she's oh. like his lab assistant. Yeah, I was gonna say I thought she was the lab tech. She is 
she's actually technically Olivia's personal assistant through the FBI. What? But she, yeah. Yeah. So she's Olivia's assistant at the FBI, but <laughs> becomes Walter's like lab tech, but also goes and buys him like ingredients for strawberry milkshakes. Um, she does it all. Oh, gosh. I love her. There's an episode where Peter gets very angry at Walter and leaves. And basically, Walter's living on his own for a couple weeks. And then Astrid and Olivia come to, like, check on him. And his house is a mess. And mm-hmm. Astrid was like, Walter, why didn't you, like, come to us for help? And he's like, I've got to know how to live on my own. And I love that it touches on like losing your independence as you get mm. as you age and your inability to be independent and wanting to fight that and not wanting to ask for help because i think that it's such a scary part of aging yeah like not being able to drive yourself places and not being able to go to the grocery store and remember how to get home and the actor that plays walter does such a fantastic job of showing the fear of being lost and being old and not remembering things. And it's so like heart wrenching when you see him so helpless and unable to like fend for himself in this like really scary world. Right. But then like there are really good people who want to help him and love him. And I think that that's just so nice and wholesome that he like has this group of people that want him to succeed and want him to navigate the world in a, in a seemingly normal way and want to give him some independence. It's just like, it's very touching. I think it's really interesting how, what a big part of his character, this aging process is. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really interesting tie in to the, the character arc of his lifetime that you were describing earlier, where his earlier life was marked by kind of blind ambition and Mm -hmm. disregard for, uh, you know, the safety of other humans and Mm -hmm. things like that. And it can be really easy to think like that when you're like a really accomplished scientist, I guess, because you're so removed from the people you're potentially impacting. Mm -hmm. And you can take this person, this character, like Walter Bishop, who is clearly, like, basically a a genius Mm -hmm. and has superhuman intellect. But at the end of the day, he is a human and he is vulnerable to the processes of aging and cognitive decline, just like all other humans. Mm -hmm. And as the arc of his character sort of arcs down toward that that ramp of cognitive decline, he is returning to his humanity as a person, though. Yes. Because he yeah, recognizes yeah, yeah. the the flaws of himself as a younger scientist and as a younger father and mm-hmm. all of those things in his past as he goes through this aging process, he becomes much more of a human character. Yeah. And then I also love interactions. Just Walter's so goofy. He wants Peter to end up with Olivia. And so he'll like (laughs) call Olivia and be like, something's really important. You've got to come over. And then he'll have like made pancakes and he (laughs) runs out of the house with and like leaves Peter and Olivia to have pancakes together. And I just think that that's so cute. Um, that he's like trying to set up his son <laughs> with Olivia. It's so cute. 
Um, and then obviously Peter and Olivia have like fantastic chemistry together. Um, there's like a lot of like really well done sexual tension and, um, just, it's kind of like a will they, won't they for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And I live for it. I'm absolutely in love with Peter and it's fine. <laughs> I love a will they, won't they. And also he's cranky. I just have uh, like such a thing for a cranky main, main dude. I love it. <laughs> it's just like a very tender show in a lot of places and very wholesome. And I think that. It's so interesting because you you see I want to go back to the aging thing again because it's such a prominent aspect of the show and you see Walter becoming this like cognitively lesser version of himself but a better version of himself like exactly because he is aged and doesn't have his faults as a younger man he He's just, like, a much better father and a much better person as a whole and can, like, really see the consequences of everything he's done Mm -hmm. and feel remorse for them and want to fix things. And I just – I love that he's a less prideful man and that is no longer inhibiting him from having, like, these very fulfilling interactions and relationships and I guess technically Walter's the main character because I can't stop talking about him. <laughs> Gosh, it's so good. But yeah, it's so good. And I think that if if you're going to watch any show that has more than three seasons, it should be this one. Uh. Like if you are going to commit to any show, I think that this one is worth a watch and feels like it goes by so quickly. I can never get enough of it. It's just, I'll probably start it again. I'm trying to get Scott to watch it with me. So He's never seen it? He's never seen it. That surprises me. It seems like he'd like it. He doesn't watch a lot of television. He'd never seen X-Files either before we started dating. So Wow. Yeah. I'm really excited to watch it again. Yeah. And I haven't even finished this watch through. But <laughs> you love a rewatch. <laughs> I do. I love to know everything already. That's so funny. Like I don't like the suspense, if that makes right. sense. So like I know, I know I what you're know saying. What the stakes are because I've already seen it. <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying, and I couldn't disagree more about <laughs> how I feel about what I want in my watching experience. No, I know. We're just very different. We're very different. I, I was yeah, I was thinking that when you said earlier how you don't like feeling too many strong emotions <laughs> when you're watching something. And I was like, man, Kat and I are so different. I want all <laughs> the emotions. I want the the hardest <laughs> the emotions. Raw the rawest emotions. I want the suspense. I want the surprise. And I want the novelty. That's <laughs> that's what I'm all about. That's why I always cover things that are like... Brand Hot new. And fresh and new, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm always like, yeah, I watched this movie from, like, the <laughs> 1940s. Oh, man. That's why we balance each other out yeah. so well. I feel like you're the more exciting one. <laughs> I'm just a novelty seeker at heart. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but there's so much that's old, so I've got a bunch <laughs> of things to so cover. There's so much that's old. Yes. <laughs> I feel like we don't talk about Fringe enough. I feel like it's just, like, such 
a good show, but if you mm-hmm. just pull any person off the street and ask them if they've watched Fringe, I just feel like most people would not even know what I was talking about. Maybe. I have a... I don't know. I was so surprised when I learned that Will liked Mm -hmm. Fringe because I thought that I was literally the only person that Mm -hmm. I knew that watched Fringe, except for the one person in college that showed it to me. That's weird. So email me if you have watched Fringe and like it, and then we can be friends. Friendiagrampod at gmail.com. Yes. (laughs) You'll hear it again at the end, so get your drafts ready. Attention, cat. Attention, cat. Because we get so many emails. Yeah. Oh, God, I'm just sifting through all of these emails. Yeah, tell me. I have. I just want to do a survey of our listeners, um, mm-hmm. the five of you that exist. Um, who's watched Fringe? Who wants to be my new bestie? And also... Uh, Remy, you've got to watch Fringe. You, I mean, I've seen it, but I should finish it. Also, I really love Charlie. Um, sorry, I didn't give Charlie enough love. He is only in seasons one and two, and then just like sprinkled here and there. He's Mm -hmm. her partner from the FBI originally, like before she started in Fringe. And he has so much witty banter. Mm Mm-hmm. I love him, and he and Olivia have such, like, a a rapport, which is really nice, because you get Olivia interacting with all of these new people that she's just starting to form relationships with, Mm -hmm. but then you get her with, like, her old friend, and you get to see, like, that side of her, and I really love that, and how much they care for one another. I need to look up who that actor is really quick because I think I gotta see a picture of him. Oh, Lance Reddick plays Broyles. Yes. That's awesome. Oh my god, he's amazing. Kirk Acevedo. Let me see this guy. Oh yeah, I know him from Band of Brothers. I knew I knew him from somewhere. Ah, I love him. He's really good and I just love this show so much. This is a really minor point, but I enjoy the interstitial transitions that they have. Those screens that it's like a black screen with an image yes. in between the ad like breaks the six and fingers stuff. or sure. like the, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the butterfly with um, a grafted on dragonfly wing or something. Yeah, I always really liked those. I feel like one those was a really lizard, good. maybe. <laughs> yeah, one is a lizard. Yeah. Um, but they're all like different anomaly type things. Exactly. Esque things. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Pleasing. Oh, okay. Um, Wonderful. You don't have to pay for a subscription to watch it. You can get it on Amazon Prime Video without a membership through Freebie, or you can just get it through Freebie directly. You can purchase it sans ads like Will did. He owns all seasons yes. <laughs> personally, which is yeah. great. You can do that. I might have to do that at some point because mm-hmm. I hate when it gets taken from me. Have you ever found like a show that you want to watch and you want everyone to watch it and you want it to be there forever and then Netflix yeah. takes it down? Twin Peaks. Help. Bring it back, please. I need it. Hey, Netflix. Yeah, I can't sit through a fucking ad to save my life. I've been (laughs) streaming only for... I haven't had a television in at least 10 or so years. And when I go to, like, my mom's house during holidays and we watch cable television live on TV, I'm like, oh, my God. These ads 
These ad breaks are unending. We watch Jeopardy. (laughs) I love Jeopardy. I love Jeopardy too. My every time we watch, my mom's like, "You should go on Jeopardy." Oh, I could never do it. I would never want to be on camera, and I'm not great at mental math. (laughs) You wear a mask. (laughs) You wear like a Batman mask. I wonder if they would let me do it. They'd invent, like, a new show that's a mix between The Masked Singer and Jeopardy, where you do trivia, but with costumes on, and people have to guess who you are based on how good you are at trivia. That's going to exist in the next three years, I bet. I love that. I hate it. But yeah, that's all I got. I could talk about this all day, though. You watched a new thing this weekend. I did watch a new thing, naturally. Fresh off the press, didn't it just come out? It did. I mean, at the time of recording, this film came out two days ago. Nice. So this week I'm covering the 2022 film, Nope. It's written and directed by Jordan Peele. This is his third film that he's written and directed. And this was my most anticipated film of the year. This is my event that that I've been looking forward to for a long time. Um, And... I have thoroughly enjoyed both of Jordan Peele's two previous films, and I was very, very interested in the what I could see from the trailer for Nope. Um, have you seen the trailer at all? Do you know anything about it? Um, I don't. Should I just quick watch it? Horses. <laughs> this is a Nope trailer reaction video. Oh my gosh, is it Aliens? That looks good. Yeah. Was that the guy from um, Get from Out? Get Out? Yes. Uh, nope stars uh, Daniel Kaluuya, the, who was the star of Get Out, Kiki Palmer, oh, Brandon wow. Perea, and Stephen Yun are the main leads of mm-hmm. the film. And so, yeah, I'm going to do my best since it's such a new film. I know this will won't come out for at least a few weeks, but mm. still, if you haven't seen the film, I'm gonna discuss the content that would be apparent from watching the trailer or maybe seeing a movie poster, and hopefully that's acceptable to most people, since I think a lot of people go into films with at least seeing the trailer. But if you want to go in cold completely, I respect that, and just listen to this after you've seen it. Uh, because it will give away, you know, a couple key things. So, basically, the the plot of the movie is that you have uh, Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer. They are brother and sister, and they are sort of heirs to this uh, ranch-slash-business that their family have had for generations where they train horses for filming uh, films and TV and commercial and different Hollywood productions. They train the horses to do, you know, whatever horses have to do for a movie. And they are basically Daniel Kaluuya. He is kind of shouldering the burden of running this company and doing all the work after their father passes away, who was the main guy running the business previously. 
And so they sort of have um, a complex, maybe strange relationship that you are deciphering at the beginning of the film, just because it seems like Daniel has shouldered a lot more of the hands-on work with the ranch and with the horses uh, than Kiki Palmer's character Emerald has uh, in their father's absence. And their horse ranch is located in California in a place called uh, Agua Dulce. I don't know if that's a real place. I'm assuming it is. But they're out in this really um, picturesque valley surrounded by mountains. And on the opposite side of this valley, there's um, like an Old West style theme park that is run by uh, Stephen Young's character. And it's like a really touristy spot where you would go and see kind of, I don't know how to describe it. It's just like a really kitschy wild west kids amusement park type thing. Mm-hmm. And you find out that the, the horse ranch business has been struggling since their father passed away and you kind of see Daniel Kaluuya trying to carry on without him and what the dynamics are like when he's on set as the horse wrangler and the way that he gets treated by other members of the crew and things of that nature. And so you get insight into some of the tensions there as well. But the the main crux of the story is the fact that these strange occurrences start happening on the horse ranch in this valley. And they become really salient when horses start disappearing and when Daniel sees something suspicious in the clouds fleetingly. And so if you've seen the trailer, you can, I think, surmise that this is um, more of a sci-fi horror film dealing with extraterrestrial things. And it's really funny because when you compare Nope to Jordan Peele's other films, I would say that it is both the most scary and the least scary of his films. That's so interesting. (laughs) I would say it's the most scary because there is a a B-plot that deals with Stephen Yun's backstory. Mm. You, You see some flashbacks to his work in the entertainment industry as a, a child. And the those B-plot flashbacks tap into a particular fear of mine, like an actual, probably one of the only very strong near-phobia-level fears that I have. Mm-hmm. Kat, you and I have discussed it before. I don't want to give it away. I don't know if you remember it. It's been a while since we've talked about <laughs> my our deepest, darkest my, my fears. Few tangible fears. <laughs> you can tell me, and I'll cut it out. Uh, anyway, if you've seen the film, it's all the stuff with Gordy, 
and Gordy's house. I fucking hate Gordy. I hate <laughs> everything to do <laughs> with Gordy and his whole situation. I hate that that is a plausible thing that could have existed and happened. Uh-huh. And I think anyone that is involved in that type of situation or industry is an absolute fool and asking for I love that. violence. And I just, um, I think I'm not alone because of all of the reactions I've seen on Twitter, people are reacting very strongly to oh, yeah. the Gordy scenes. I don't think that's a, a phobia. I think that that's just logical. <laughs> Like, oh, I hope so. I feel like everybody should be scared of Gordy. Um, yeah. Yeah, that just seems logical. That's not oh, a... Oh, God. They were chilling, though. They were truly chilling. And it's it's a, it's a credit to Jordan Peele because the opening scene of the movie is one of those Gordy flashbacks. Like, they open with a plot B flashback. I hate it. And it is the aftermath of the event in question so you aren't even building suspense to this violent event you are seeing that it it has already taken place and you can infer just based with visual information what has happened like it is immediately apparent especially if this is a phobia of yours (laughs) or a concern of yours yeah it is obvious what has taken place and as soon as that opened the film, I was like, oh no. <laughs> Jordan Peele, <laughs> you've got me right. <laughs> right in my most vulnerable, vulnerable topic. Um, so that's why it is the his scariest film to me, is because uh-huh. of the Gordy parts, and how those, I'm particularly fearful of that situation, uh-huh. but it's also his least scary film, because it is, in terms of the A-plot, a lot of it feels like an adventure film mm-hmm. rather than a horror film. There's a lot more um, expansive adventure in that on the horse farm. That sounds like say. a nice contrast, though. Yeah. I think that that's good. Oh, certainly. Um, I don't think it, it suffers for that. It's just different from his... Um, his two previous films, mm. Get Out and Us, which were much more contained. Mm-hmm. For the most part, those took place in like single locations, like one house, yeah, largely. But here you are going, you have this expansive horse farm in the valley, mm-hmm. a, in a valley, and you're in the Wild West Park, and you're in other locations as well. There's a Um, like a proxy for a Best Buy that they go to Mm. and stuff like that. And it's his certainly his most expansive film in terms of the scale of the locations where Mm. things are taking place, but also, I believe, his most expansive film in terms of all of the ideas and themes that he's tackling. There are, I think, a lot of layers of ideas that are being brought to the surface here. There's, you know, definitely commentary on how people process their past trauma. There's commentary on, like, complex family relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, to me, a lot of it has to do with 
the nature of not just film and the film industry, but the more fundamental nature of capturing subjects on film and how our relationship to the subjects of film and media has changed as technology has changed, where film used to be a very limited resource that only very few people could afford or had the equipment to capture something on film, Mm -hmm. all the way until now where everyone has a camera phone and everything can be recorded. And how does that change your relationship with the subjects of the things you're recording? Mm. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with the push-pull relationship between spectacle and respect Mm -hmm. for the subject of what you're documenting. Um, But all of these different ideas are being presented to you while also um i in my opinion there's a lot of apparent homage being paid to big sort of scary adventure films of the past Mm -hmm. and in my mind this is a film that has many parallels to one of my favorite films of all time which is jaws i could definitely write you a paper about all of the parallels that Nope has with Jaws. I won't go into all of them, or probably not even most of them, because Mm -hmm. that would be spoilers, but um, Kat, you and I can probably discuss that someday when, after you've watched it. The whole time I was like keeping a running list in my head, I was like, oh, look at that, and now that, and now this person. I was like, oh, God, this is amazing, because I hold Jaws in such high, high esteem, Mm -hmm. and I think Jordan Peele does as well. Um, I think based on what I've seen him tweet about, I think he also has an affection for that film, so it was really pleasing to me. And I was just talking in like the last episode about how there's not enough good adventure type movies Mm -hmm. anymore Mm -hmm. so that's really exciting Um, yeah and just like jaws it this that is the exact vibe where i wouldn't call jaws a horror Mm -mm. movie though it is scary some of the time but it's mostly an adventure Mm -hmm. and that's how i feel about most of nope it strikes the exact same balance and so yeah you basically have uh a team that is assembled that Daniel and Kiki, they, their characters assemble this team to aid them in trying to capture this craft on film. And that's the, the main motivation of what they're doing for most of the movie. I have like a short list of things that I particularly loved about the, the movie. Now that we have established like the basic, scope and parameters of what takes place. Um, I really loved something I particularly like about Jordan Peele's direction and his storytelling is his facility with giving you a ton of information in a purely visual way. Um, There's a prologue section of the film where, um, Daniel's father is still alive and you see uh, an event that happens with him and the aftermath of that. And so much of it 
takes place without dialogue, but you understand exactly what happened just by looking at the images and the visual information you're presented with. Mm-hmm. And that's something I always, always appreciate is that efficiency of storytelling. And that's not just present in the beginning, but present throughout. There's so much information that you're gleaning just by the the sets and all kinds of things. So that's still a really high quality part of the film. And I also really liked that the movie gives a lot of respect to the crew and the behind the scenes uh, people that support all of these, mm-hmm. all of the film industry and, you know, television industry and things like that. This gives you a, a really great appreciation for all of those people because, oh my God, a film requires hundreds of people to make yeah. it. And you only ever really hear or see or talk about just a small handful of them. Mm-hmm. So I really liked that aspect. I really liked Daniel Kaluuya's performance in the movie because it's very quiet and stoic mm-hmm. and understated it's yeah i feel like i that reminds me of his role in uh get out as well it's a different vibe in this though mm-hmm. it's a like i don't know how to describe what makes it different he's he doesn't really let people off the hook in social situations with humor or uh, good nature or things like that. He's much more of a... Like, you can tell he's been working on a farm his whole life. Mm -hmm. And I really liked his performance. Another element that was just amazing was the cinematography. They're in a really picturesque location. And... The director of photography was Hoyte van Hoytema, the same DP that I talked about that did Dunkirk. Oh, yeah. So, uh, of course, it was beautiful mm-hmm. and just incredibly shot. It's, it was stunning. It was amazing. I think that guy is quickly becoming my favorite director of photography. I think he's right out there with Roger Deakins, and he's going to be... Uh, one of the greats, probably. Cool. Just based on what he's done so far. He does a great job here. Everything looks great. And I love how much I learn about like the different aspects of film when we <laughs> talk about film. Because I know very little about film. And I feel like most of what I do know, I have learned through conversations with you. And then being like, I don't know what that means. And then Googling it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of that. Another element, this is probably the first time I'm shouting this element out on the pod, the sound mixing was amazing. I mean, first of all, this is a movie that is very horse-heavy, and there's nothing like the sound of a hoofbeat on film. That's just great. But then there's also all of these otherworldly sounds that have to be, you know, invented mm-hmm. and created to tell this story. And they, there's, that was so excellent as well. I mean, there's a whole sound team. Johnny Byrne, I think he 
he was the supervising sound editor and sound designer, and he and his team just did a standout job. The The soundscape was very engrossing mm. and striking. And when you mix that up, when you mix that in with the striking visuals, it's just a really immersive experience. And it really adds to like what I was talking about with what a grand scope this, mm-hmm. this film has. And so, oh gosh, it was just the, the craftsmanship that went into it is very apparent. Mm-hmm. And my final standout point that I want to talk about is regarding the, the main subject of the movie, which is like the extraterrestrial element. And I was excited when I, you know, surmised from the trailer that that would be what this film is centrally about because I'm just, I think that's interesting just at face value. But what Jordan Peele did with that subgenre was really original and compelling. Like he took that subgenre and portrayed it in a different way through a different framework that I completely did not expect whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And it was a really refreshing take on the alien subgenre of sci-fi slash horror. And the thought that went into how he framed it and the detail and the way it is revealed to you over time that this is the nature of this life form mm-hmm. was excellent. It was like the amount of thought and detail that I would compare to what Denis Villeneuve did with Arrival, where there was like a whole language and it was structured in this way. Like it was like, wow, this person really thought about this. And I love the originality with which they're portraying this life form. It was sort of like that feeling. That's so exciting. Yeah. So finding out the true nature of the antagonist was a real treat to me. Ooh. <laughs> I didn't know how much the movie would get into that just from watching the trailer. It almost seemed more of like an Independence Day type thing to me, where you get very little knowledge about what the alien species is in that right. movie. Right. Um, so yeah, I think that's really cool. Right. I won't say any more because I don't want to ruin it. Okay. Um, it's such a shame that I don't go to the movies. Very often. I might have to go to the movies by myself for this one. Oh, hell yeah. I love going I to the movies it. alone. I, movies <laughs> it's are such favorite. a social thing to me. Even if you're just like sitting next to somebody, I find it a lot more satisfying. Mm-hmm. I find that that ruins it for me. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't want to be worrying about what the other people or person think about it. I just mm. one I just want to focus and be like I love this I love that or you know maybe I don't mm-hmm. love that but I don't want to be worrying about what the whether the other person likes it or not you know having to 
arrive at a specific time to suit other people's schedules. Mm -hmm. I like walking to the (laughs) cinema on my own time and showing up alone and just not having to worry about anything else other than the Mm -hmm. film. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, I mean, there's so much spectacle that uh, this is available also on IMAX. I just saw it on a regular screen, but watch this however you can. uh, It'll be great either way. There's just like a lot of big spectacle set pieces that really lend themselves to seeing this in a theater. Mm. Like the same way I was really happy I saw Dunkirk in a theater. I thought you were going to say Dune. Or Dune. Absolutely. Same with Dune. I'm so glad I saw that in a theater. Yeah, that was really good in a theater. Because of the scale and the scope and... I mean, the I love worm the theater experience. It. The worm yeah. is worth it. <laughs> so there's there's a lot to enjoy, even if you just like things that are spectacle related. There's a lot to enjoy in terms of discussing what the messages were at different levels. This is definitely a movie that I think has multiple messages, and there's a lot to discuss. Will and I walked like. 20 blocks home after we watched it and we were you know tossing ideas back and forth about like well what do you think this meant or what do you think that meant and you know I love doing that (laughs) part of processing a film yeah um and I just want to say Stephen Yun's character he his character is perhaps he was to me the most complex and puzzling character in terms of his motivations and why he did certain things and where he was coming from. And I like that about his character. I think there's a lot to unpack about him that I haven't fully parsed out for myself. Mm -hmm. But I really enjoy thinking about it. And I'm looking forward to hearing it other people's takes on mm-hmm. on what we're meant to take away from him. But, man, there's a lot of good stuff in this movie. <laughs> I can't wait to watch it again. You talking about you and Will walking home after the movie let out uh, mm-hmm. makes me think of when I went and saw Us with my partner Scott. Mm-hmm. We walked to our movie theater, which is probably like a a 15 minute walk from the house and Mm -hmm. the whole way back I would not stop talking about like everything I thought about us and it was just like a really thought-provoking movie for me in the same way and I love that every Jordan Peele movie leaves me feeling like that like Mm -hmm. I feel like there's so much processing that has to be done after a Jordan Peele movie and I just love it yeah yeah he It's not all superficial. Like, there are things to dissect and mull over, and I love that about about films. And I should say, like, the the humor that Jordan Peele incorporates into his movies is also present in Mm -hmm. Nope as well. There's a lot of um, humorous moments, and (sighs) I don't know. There's great (laughs) characters. I love the team they assemble to help them in their endeavor, there's this sweet, sweet boy named Angel. The character's name is Angel. He's played by um, Brandon Perea, 
and he works at that the you know best buy proxy mm-hmm. store and he helps them install a bunch of cameras and stuff and he is very into ancient aliens and i love it <laughs> things of that nature i yes. i love what he brings to the team another team member they recruit is a documentarian filmmaker whose character's name is Antlers Holst. He's played by Michael Wincott, and I believe deep down in my heart he's meant to be some facsimile of Werner Herzog, who you know I absolutely delight in all Mm -hmm. things Werner Herzog as a person. So I believe in my heart that Antlers Holst is meant to be some (laughs) version of Werner. I love that. And God, his office in the movie is absolutely killer. Uh, I love his office. So (laughs) look out for that when you watch the movie. Yes. It's my dream office. Um, Yeah, there's just so much to love about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe one day if we have a Patreon, I'll do a special video that's me comparing all the parallels between Jaws and Nope. Oh, yes. Wouldn't that be do some that. nice Oh, I think that would nice be so cool. content? Yeah. Yeah. I'll give... I think this is a very mild, unimportant spoiler. So just like one parallel between Nope and Jaws that I loved very much was how Nope borrows from Jaws in terms of finding ways to visually and also through means of audio to represent the presence of this antagonist that can't be shown outright. So you know how in Jaws they don't show the shark very much until the very end. He's just, Mm -hmm. his presence is implied through the score, but also through um, this visual motif of the barrels, those yellow barrels that are attached to him. Oh, yeah. Um, you almost don't see the shark at all for a very long time, but you know he's there because the you can see the barrels have surfaced, and you're like, oh, fuck, the shark is here. <laughs> and so that is an excellent technique for building tension uh-huh. without showing your hand by uh-huh. showing the actual shark. I love that. And Jordan Peele does something very, very similar here through the use of um, this like string of flags and um, through the use of visual representations of power outages Mm -hmm. and um, through audio as well. And I just particularly appreciated that technique to... Um, insinuating that danger is nearby without showing it directly. I love that subtlety. That's cool. I love (laughs) that. (laughs) I'm so excited. I'll have to rewatch Jaws also. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Oh, God, that sounds so good. Now I've got to – maybe I'll put feelers out and be like, will anyone go to the theater with me? Just go. I'm so scared. Why? Scared of what? um, I don't like (laughs) – Going to the theater alone. But what are you scared of? Being scared. Oh, you're being scared. You're scared of being scared alone? Mm hmm. Okay, I see. But yeah, maybe. It, especially if it's like the type of horror that you're describing doesn't seem like the type of horror that would like leave too much of a lasting, haunting impression in my mind. Right. Yeah, like, like I said, in many ways, I think this is the least scary. 
yeah. Jordan Peele film. But you do always find ways to surprise me in the things that you find <laughs> f- truly frightening. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why we love me. Yes. Um. <laughs> that's why we love me. Yeah, that's all I want to say about it because I want people to I want people to go in and be surprised and be thrilled and, and have go a good support time. your local theaters. Yeah, because and support COVID did not do them a good thing. Yeah, go out to the theater, support theaters, and support original storytelling. Mm-hmm. I admire Jordan Peele's commitment to original stories so much. I don't think I could fully express it in words. Oh, I'm actually curious. Where would you rank Nope mm. um, with the other Jordan Peele films? Yeah, we talked about this after the f- after the movie as well. I would rank it second of the three. So Get Out is my favorite, then Nope, then Us. I know we disagree about that as well. <laughs> I think... Well, really where I think that comes from is I waited so long to watch Get Out that I already Mm -hmm. knew everything that was going to happen. And that changes everything, right? Like when you already know what's going to... That's why you got to run to the theater right now (laughs) before Um, people spoil it for you. Yeah. So, like if I could just rewind the clock and... Mm -hmm have a completely fresh experience watching that movie again for the first time. I think it would be better. Ooh, that should be a top five list that we have. It's like, what are your top five pieces of content that you wish you could experience for the first time again? Mm. Like, what would you want to like watch with fresh eyes and no memory of seeing it before? Yeah, that would take a lot of consideration. That's a good one. You should put it on the list. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you're just giving yourself more reasons to go see it in the theater. Get someone to go with you. I will. Take anyone. So we've still got to do our friend diagram. Yes. What are the commonalities between fringe and nope? Um, Well, two things stuck out to me. Obviously, I don't have, like, all of the details of Nope, having not seen it, but it seemed like there were common themes of processing past trauma um, and, like, trying to deal with that or heal from it, and also um, family dynamics and, like, potentially, like, issues in your family dynamic and dealing with those as well. Yeah, Those were, were two things that stuck out to me when you were talking. Definitely. I think both of those are very true. Certainly working through complex family dynamics with uh, Daniel and Kiki's characters being brother and sister and having to try to keep this business afloat, but mm-hmm. just being very different people. And that's, yeah, very satisfying to watch them work through, much in the same way I think watching Peter and Walter work through their family issues Mm -hmm. is for Fringe. Um, I mean, even more superficially than that, they're both sci-fi properties. Yeah, totally. Which I think this is the first time I would say outright that one of Jordan Peele's films is sci-fi. I think you could make the argument for that other two, but it's much more front and center for Nope. Yeah, definitely the other two lean more on that horror aspect. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, I can think of one more, but again, it would give away the thing I really don't want to give away. So I'll just leave it. I can Dang leave it. it at that. We can talk about it later at some point okay. if you see it. Um, yeah. All right. Well, that's that, I guess. Okay. Thanks for joining us this week on Friend Diagram. Thank you to Tyler Seek for the creation of our intro and outro music. Did you take any of our recommendations? Have any thoughts on the show? Let us know at frienddiagrampod at gmail.com, and we might read your email on a future episode. If you can, please take a moment to rate and review the show on your podcast app of choice, and we'll see you back here, same place, next week. Bye for now.